Think about it. Everything is polluted. The environment, the government, the schools, you name it. We're on Uncensored tonight. Nice, clean little bandwidth. No one else is using it. Price is right. I like the idea that a voice can just go somewhere uninvited like a dirty thought in a nice, clean mind. Guess who? It's me again. The little attitude for all of you in white red land. It's five o'clock. Do you care what the mainstream media says? You out there? You listening? What's going on, fam? Good to see you guys all out there today. Thanks for joining us here today again for another edition of Brothers Uncensored. Appreciate you guys all very much. It's always a great time to hang out with you guys. I always look forward to seeing all the people who show up in the chat. You guys are awesome people. All you want is just a different perspective on what's going on in the world and in the media. And we're definitely going to bring that to you guys today. Jeremy Brown's with us today, as well as my brother. You're looking at the new background that I have been working on. Yes, I actually do do stuff in the background to improve the show. <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, that is the new background. And uh, what you're looking at is the foxhole.app. It is the app that is for true seekers. If you, if you want to find a perspective that you're not going to find anywhere else, check out the foxhole.app. Do me a favor, though. Those guys need our help. Help support them. Help support free speech platforms. Help support people who are just trying to get the truth out there or just want to say whatever the fuck is on their mind. Because apparently these days... You're not allowed to say that stuff. The website is up and ready to roll. The new the new logo is getting integrated into all of our stuff. As you can see, it is looking pretty damn good. Uh, we are up on Podbeam, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, every podcast you can find. Just search Brothers Uncensored and you will find us. Uh, the previous show content, if you want to see the videos, you can find those here as well as the links that are just below. And those are Foxhole, Twitch. YouTube hates us, so fuck them. DLive, CloudHub, Tiger Network, uh, and we'll have more coming on that front, too, in the near future. Uh, appreciate those guys very much <clears throat> over at CloudHub and the Foxhole.app for uh, you know standing with free speech platforms. Uh, the blog is up. <clears throat> Latest information about stuff that's not getting covered in the news, you can find links to those there. Finally, just scroll down a little bit more. You're going to see a merch thing pop up here in the near future. We're working on the merchandise. It's it's close. It's real close. Hopefully, we're hoping within a week or two, maximum, and we'll have you guys set up, so stand by for that. But in the meantime, if you want to help keep the lights on, cash up, Patreon, PayPal. If you become a Patreon, you get access to our private Discord where you can see behind the scenes of what's going on at the show to, at today and every day, for that matter. You never know what's going on in the world. All right, so uh, with that, I want to welcome my bro Joe into the into the show here today. If I can figure out why Zoom won't let me bring it up. In the meantime, I'll get the I'll get the video going. Joe, what's good, bro? What's up, everyone? Glad to be here. I see everybody out there in Foxhole, Slide Park, KH Farmer, Texas Girl, Daddy Crab. I just got that cash app. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much for that donation. Napkin Nader, good to see you out there, brother. Keep true. Uh, Q shook me all night long. Hello. Good to see you out there, Amy, Joe, and many more. Thank you all for being here today. I am super excited. We have uh, Jeremy Brown here, uh, former Green Beret. Well, I shouldn't say former. I think once you're a Green Beret, you're always a Green Beret, right? 
Uh, he was also a former Republican candidate for Congress in, in Florida's 14th congressional dis, uh, district. I am super excited, Jeremy. How are you doing today, brother? Glad you are here. Well, uh, thanks for having me, Joe and Abe. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I appreciate that you're here, man. Um, so basically, for those of you that aren't familiar with Jeremy's story, I'll just I'll just introduce the story. But first, I want to find out a little bit about my brother here. I mean, you get a chance to to hang out with a fellow uh, military uh, brother, and and I just kind of kind of want to hang out with him a little bit, really, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. So I'm gonna be a little bit uh, selfish on that front. Uh, but I think you guys will enjoy the discussion as well. Here's the thing that broke. Uh, this broke on uh, March 23rd. Caught on video, FBI and DHS attempt to recruit former Green Beret and to infiltrate and spy on the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. Uh, but he recorded the conversation and uh, put it out there as, as uh, the actual truth about what the discussion was. You can see the, the picture here of them showing up at his door, uh, the surveillance video, and then there's also audio. And we'll get to that topic soon. But for just for those of you out there that aren't familiar with who our guest is, That'll help you a little bit there. But first, I really want to just chill with Jeremy and find out a little bit about my brother. Tell me a little bit about your life, man. You got out of, you got out of high school, and I, and I, you told me that you did the delayed entry program. I also did the delayed entry program uh, after a year of college, after finding out that they weren't actually going to teach me anything that I really needed to know. Um, but uh, you, you you graduated right around the same time I did. I graduated in 91. I think you joined in 92. Uh, so we're the same age. We, we, we see the world probably in very similar ways. Tell me a little bit about your initial experience and getting into uh, the, the Army to start with and then what progressed into getting into the Green Berets. Well, first of all, Abe, we already discussed that you made a little bit bigger mistake than I did by going in the Marine Corps. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, my dad rubbed it in. My dad was in the Air Force, and he said, you should join in the Air Force. Well, when I was in Peru, the Air Force was in, uh, uh, you know, heated rooms and, and actual beds and a nice comfy little, uh, you know, chow while we were out in the 200-foot-by-400 in the mud, uh, you know, with, <laughs> with uh, chicken and rice every day. You know how that goes. Yeah, if you want, if you want to live a good life, go in the Air Force. If you want to survive and em- learn how to embrace the suck, go in the Army or the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So I mean, you know, there's always the friendly, friendly rivalry with uh, with the Army, and there is a difference between the baseline Army and uh, a Green Beret. There's there's a huge difference, and they're they are definitely very professional. Uh, just like in the Marine Corps, you got your meatheads and the plenty of meatheads in the Marine Corps. It just, it's just a, a microcosm of life. But for you to make it from, you know, uh, in just joining the Army, at what point did you decide that you were going to take this uh, a little bit further and make it a, make a career out of it in the Green Berets? Well, uh, at five years old is when I decided that I was going to go in the Army, and uh, I, I knew that I was going to always want to do everything that I could. You know, I grew up in the in the days of Rambo and the Chuck Norris movies and, you know, the Russians and, and the gooks were the bad guys. And so, uh, you know, I ran around in the woods with toy guns, but because I was poor, it was usually sticks. Right. Um, but, the so when, you know, I had an uncle that, uh, was in an officer in the army, he was a public affairs officer, but he had gone through ranger school back in the early seventies. And he knew he, because he was a PAO for, for special operations command and, uh, or, or for use of he knew all the ins and outs of all the different, you know, forces that I would want to be, uh, to go into. And so he set me down and basically we talked about the Rangers and the Green Berets and Delta and the SEALs and Force Recon and all these other things. And, and I, I basically said, well, that, you know, you know, he, the Rangers are where I need to go because, you know, 
it, back in those days, you know, they didn't have the 18 x-ray program. So uh, special forces wasn't an entry level uh, option like it is today. So uh, I enlisted on a, a Ranger Regiment uh, RGV4 contract is what they called. So I came in, went to infantry uh, one station unit training at Fort Benning on the airborne school to what was then known as the Ranger indoctrination program, which is now known as RASP, uh, Ranger Assessment and Selection Program. And uh, from there went to 1st Ranger Battalion in Savannah, Georgia. So um, I spent my first uh, three years in the Army as an Army Ranger. Uh, I achieved the rank of Sergeant very quickly. Uh, in 1995, I went to Special Forces Assessment and Selection, uh, was selected as a Special Forces Weapons Sergeant or 18 Bravo and uh, started my journey through uh, my special forces career. I went out the first special forces group as a Bravo. A few years later, uh, they needed communications guys. So I re-enlisted and went back to Bragg and reclassified to the 18 Echo Special Forces Communications, where I then made laterally transferred to seventh special forces group, at, which at the time was at Fort Bragg. Uh, did my, my commo time there. 9-11 um, actually happened while I was at Max Gain uh, reclassifying. So, you know, by the time they were done, you know, all the team guys, all the, all the long tabbers were like, all right, where, where are our ODAs? Where do we have to join them, right? So, uh, you know, I show up to seventh group and, and uh, spent, you know, a few years there. In 2006, because during my time in seventh group, I ended up actually being one of the poster boys for special forces recruiting that led to being recruited into recruiting by, by the uh, special operations recruiting battalion. And so I did a stint as a special forces recruiter about a year, but uh, uh, so they sent me to Fort Campbell to recruit young men into special forces from the regular army. Uh, but I came out on the master sergeant list, the E8 list. And, and so I only spent a year in recruiting and they laterally transferred me over to fifth special forces group there at Campbell. Uh, I did my team sergeant time there, uh, led uh, ODA 5414 uh, into combat in Iraq. And then after that, it was time to be set out the pastor. So I was, uh, took an assignment at uh, U.S. Army Special Operations Command Central here in Tampa at Air, McDill Air Force Base, and that's where I retired in 2012. Wow. That's um, – I've shown you a picture of, uh, of the uh... – uh, recruiting uh, 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 po uh, poster and uh, plaque you have. That's pretty, pretty impressive, man. Yes. Yeah, so I was actually giving those away as donor gifts during my campaign. So um, nice, but you know, the campaign didn't go that well, so I didn't have to give too many of them away, but uh, you know, a little story about those posters is that there's only about 20 left in the world because when the army changes their branding, they destroy everything. And mm -hmm. if you're caught with it, then you're, you're subject to UCMJ. So, I can't even find that poster. Now there was a campaign. I think there was four posters. I can only find like one or two of them from that entire campaign, like on Google images or anything. Uh, but I've never been able to find that one. And so I've got about 20 of them. I've got five in reserve for my daughters uh, who have no idea what their dad did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get that. Um, it's, um, you know, so a lot of people don't understand what it's like uh, to, I mean, I, you know, to, to, to go to a, a complete unknown environment as part of, uh, of special forces and, or the green beret, for instance, what was like your first mission? Like what, 
can you put put the mindset of our of our viewers and our our listeners into what it was like on your first deployment? On my first deployment as a Green Beret or yeah. as a Ranger? Uh, well, so I actually, yeah, I may be off by one or two spots, but my roommate um, Scott, which I won't talk about his last name because he's done some he's done cooler things than I have, but we were roommates in the Q course when we graduated. He was the youngest guy in the entire special forces regiment and i was the second youngest guy right so fresh out of range both of us he was in third ranger battalion i was from first ranger battalion and we were just young guys and at the time this was in 1996 97 time frame when i showed up to my oda special forces was still a very senior uh a, a very senior force so uh the odas are about 12 men i think we had nine on the oda i made the ninth guy on my oda and i lowered the average age as a 21 year old green beret to 35. So that tells you how senior uh, the force was. Now, when I was a team sergeant and I was the, you know, the big guy, I was 35 and I was the oldest guy on the team. So that can, that kind of tells you how the global war on terrorism and, and the increase in bodies and the 18 x-ray program really, it really adjusted that, that force structure and that experience level. So, you know, I was only 21 years old full of uh, piss and vinegar straight out of Ranger Battalion where all you do is, uh, you know, kill things and break things and you get all the ammo you want. And now I show up to an ODA during the Clinton years and we literally traded MREs for nine mil rounds. And so it, it was, cra- it was insane. And I'm like, what the fuck did I get myself into? Right. Um, but probably the first significant actual real world deployment, um, because we had a couple of OPTs, which are the you know, off post training type things. Like we went down to Panama and did some jungle training. But in 98, I took part in, in what at the time was classified, uh, a classified operation. And, and I don't even know whether it still is, so I'm not going to mention the country. But uh, it's a country that most Americans never heard of and couldn't find on the map. Uh, but it was a, a actual a real world counterinsurgency or what you'd call a FID operation, foreign internal defense. And so here I am, I'm like 20, by by now I'm like 22, 23 years old, I guess, uh, in a war zone, right? A war zone that nobody even knows about that we're not actually acknowledged to be part of. Uh, It was uh, two ODAs and a SEAL platoon and in a, a ODB, which is kind of our a company headquarters, right? So we had guys all over the country and we're training their special operations forces. And it was really an experience to see um, how war works, right? For the first time, like an actual war during a period in which the American people knew of no war, right? So here's a war in a country nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows that America is at war, but here I am as a young, as, as a young special forces uh, uh, soldier, uh, actually training these guys. And I mean, these guys had been engaged in war for, at the time, 13 years, 13 year long civil war. In fact, one of the, one of the students in my class, so what they would do is, is their unit that was training with us, it was almost like a bonus for them, kind of like, you know, an infantry guy getting to go to ranger school for them, right? They're like, hey, they were hand selected to come off out of the rotation and train with the American special forces, right? And so they're coming off the battlefield, they're training with us, and then they're going back to the battlefield. Well, one of the guys, we actually called him Rambo, and he was shot with a 50 cal 
and spent like six months, almost blown in half, right? Spent almost six months recovering in the hospital and now he's back out. And so it was really insane to see one, to meet this guy, right? But also everyone thought he was, that's why they called him Rambo. He was the Rambo because they're like, oh, shit, that's the guy that got blown and almost blown in half by the 50 cal. So it, it was a, it was a, it was a wild experience, right? And I remember uh, leaving that operation and I was pissed because you, you develop this bond with your FID force and you know that they're going to get their asses handed to them if you, if you leave. And it really, because I was so young, because I was so inexperienced, like I was pissed. I'm like, I'm, I'm cursing and they're like, Hey man, just calm down, kid, <laughs> calm down. This is, this is how, this is how it happens. Um, and so that, that was a, a, that really, I mean, in, in all of my SF experience, that was probably one of the, the most uh, formative deployments because they, those types of real world UW and FID operations were few and far between at the time. And so now fast forward to me being a team sergeant in a totally different culture within SF where these kids where you know, we bought our own gear, we traded MREs with the conventional units to get ammo. Now, fast forward to global war on terrorism, these kids have brand new gear. You know, they never got, they never saw anything used. Everything's brand new, plenty of ammo, plenty of all this stuff. Um, and they didn't have that culture of experience to, to kind of deal with some of the situations that you find yourselves in when you're downrange and you're having to figure it out and you don't have the airdrops or the, the uh, forward operating base type of infrastructure. So it really was formative. Uh, and I think it made me, a, made me a better Green Beret. That's pretty interesting, man. It's, um, you know, when I got first thrown into a, to an operation, I, I actually volunteered for it because I was getting ready to decide if I was going to get out of the Corps or not. I wish I would have stayed in, but we all make mistakes, I guess. Um, and, you know, I, I get kind of a real-world experience of, of how the world actually works. So, you know, we were, we were put into Peru as supposedly counter-drug ops, and it, it really appeared more to me like we were – protecting CIA rat lines after I look back at it. I mean, during the time, you don't realize it, but but you look back and you're like, eh, someone's not quite right about what Abe, we were doing. Abe, come on, man. We know that doesn't happen. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> it, you, you get that little wider world view and you're like, damn, that's why, would they, that's why they had us there. That's not what they told us, right? So I'm sure there are, are times in your service where it was kind of formative towards your worldview of how the U.S. government works, too, and it... I mean, for me, I didn't figure it out till much later. I look back at things and I'm like, damn. But for you, I'm sure there was there was times where uh, you were put in situations that you had an exposure to the U.S. government that probably most people don't have. Did, did that help form your worldview as far as after you got out and you see what's happening in the world like today? Well, I, actually, I, I think that being special forces actually is a little bit of insulation from that because unlike you who are, are, are being told you're doing something and you have no idea and you're actually really doing something else with, with SF typically our mission, and I was in seventh group as well. And so South America was our AOR. So we probably, hell, we probably uh, uh, cross paths uh, down there sometimes. But, but um, you know, our, our operational structure is really a lot more, autonomous in the sense that when we're plopped in the middle of somewhere, we're kind of in control of our own destiny. 
as much as the commanders will tell you that they're in charge, they're not. I mean, the nature of special forces is a kind of centralized command, decentralized execution. So yes, uh, are we on a counter narcotic operation in Bolivia working with the DEA? Yes, but we're determining what's the training schedule, you know, what, it, you know, what operations, you know, we're, we're writing the con ops and submitting them for approval versus pushing them down versus, you know, even a lot of tier one units, right? They're, they're not picking out who they're gonna whack. It's being, you know, their, their targets are driven uh, top down most of the time. Now I'm sure that, you know, again, I wasn't a tier one guy, but I have friends that were, I'm sure there was times where they influenced that, but SF teams, ODAs, basically we have our target list and, you know, when the situation is right, we can say, hey, let's, let's submit the con op on, you know, whatever his code name is, right? And then that con op gets approved in, in, the, in the Intel network that we've developed ourselves. You know, sometimes we would get ISR, sometimes we would get SIGINT, sometimes we would get, uh, you know, uh, other agency help, you know, if we asked. But in most cases, our target uh, set was driven by our own intelligence gathering. And so, you know, whenever me and the, the team leader and the, and the warrant all sit around and say, hey, you know, and the, and the 18 Fox, you know, it's very collaborative, right? Mm -hmm. You know, 18 Fox comes and says, hey, I think we can roll this guy. You know, uh, is it time to roll him? Yeah, you know, we've pretty much exhausted all of our useful information on him. Okay, well, let me talk to the captain. And, and then we sit around, we develop a plan and we say, all right, we're going to roll on, you know, Operation you know, November Fury or whatever the hell, you know, the, the naming convention is at the time. And that's kind of how it is driven. So the interactions as far as how corrupt and how, you know, screwed up the government is and, and some of the stuff, we were kind of sheltered. Now, I will tell you that I, you know, had some interactions with the, the other governmental agencies, aka um, clowns. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, it was always something kind of weird, right? Like, like I was in Afghanistan and we, we rolled up a guy totally by chance, like a complete uh, fluke, right? Um, but I'll take the credit for, you know, being, being, being the big hero, right? But total fluke, the guy drives by us with a bunch of rockets sticking out of his truck. So we turn around and pursue him. And turns out this guy's a major you know, HVI. Well, he had also been working with the French, which is, you know, we were based with the French. And so he's buddy, buddy with them, but he's an HVI. Ah. We have him on our camp and they're like, Hey, you know, let him go. He's our buddy. So we let him go. Turns out that the, they actually had a huge operation planned to strike his village. And, and, you know, the, the other guys, right. The, you know, and so we told him, we're like, dude, you don't need to strike the village. Like we can lit, we have the guy's cell phone and, and his sat phone. All we have to do is say, Hey dude, you forgot your stuff. He comes in the gates and we're like, Oh, I forgot to tell you, you're, you're, you're now a prisoner of the United States. And they did not want to do that. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> they, they either wanted to, to play a big, you know, big time operation or there was something else afoot. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, you know, so yeah, I had, I've had those types of interactions, but for the most part as, as a green beret and I don't, you know, I've been retired and off a team for quite a long, you know, a decade now. Yeah. Um, so it may be different now, but yeah, I mean, most of I, my experiences uh, aren't what woke me up. Really what woke me up in 2007 was kind of um, my own personal study of eschatology, which what's, is what's that? 
Eschatology is the study of the end times, right? Ah, the, interesting. The, the, dis, the discipline that revolves around the study of the end times. And through that research, it, um, it, it brought me across a lot of paths that kind of, you know, question 9-11 and things like that. And that was when I'm like, holy shit. Like, I mean, this is 2007. I had already lost a good friend of mine in, in 05 who was a Delta operator. And, you know, I, I suffered from what I like to uh, describe to people all, all over is the true believer syndrome, right? Yeah. I'm a Green Beret. I'm out there. I'm fighting for freedom. I'm protecting. And yes, there are weapons of mass destruction because why would my commander in chief lie to me? You know, that type of, of syndrome, right? Yeah. And you know, it's, it's really a, a, a symptom of compartmentalization, right? You, sure. your, your information is limited, your mission focused. And so therefore you're not seeing the big picture. But really, it was in 07 through this, this you know, study of, of eschatology and, and biblical uh, concept of, of end times prophecy and things like that, that led me across information that then, you know, like you say, the rabbit hole, right? Yeah. Boom, right down the rabbit hole. And it was a real a, a, an eye opener. And so from that point forward, it, that did change now my, my perception of what it was that I was doing and you know, again, I think it made me a better team sergeant because, I mean, you're, you are faced with, with very tough decisions. Like when you go on a target and you, you, just, you just know that there was a bad guy there and, you know, you've got a room full of people and you know that they know where the bad guy is. It's like, you know, if you didn't know that it's, you probably should never be in their country in the first place, right. you might react differently than saying, okay, you know, let's do this, let's do that. We'll take this type of uh, stuff off the target, but we're going to leave these certain people. So, you know, it does make you question a little bit more, you know, rather than all, all, all Iraqis are bad, all, all Muslims are bad or whatever, right? Because now you realize that you're just a pawn in a, in a greater scheme. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. I want to get my bro Joe in here for a comment. I want to find out how uh, the third living in and being around uh, third world countries uh, changed me. I want to find out uh, how that changed your perspective. Let me get Joe in here for a comment and question. Oh yeah, I definitely appreciate. It. I mean, just the, sitting on the edge of my seat, Jeremy. To be honest <laughs> with you, uh, listening to this and to you, I mean, you know, you're talking about 2007. I guess we're kind of back in that time frame, and then working up to 2011. Where were you at during that time frame, and what was kind of going on in your life then? I guess was that was that another part of your, of your awakening as well during that time? Uh, what happened in 2011? <laughs> Literally, I I was working in. All right, so everybody's heard of the term skiff, right? Yep. Inside a skiff, you have what's called a SAPC, a, a special acti- uh a special action program, a special activity, special access <laughs> protocol, yeah, special access program control center right sorry i have crs which <laughs> may funny. be turning into craft i just learned that term right <laughs> you know what crs is right can't, can't remember, remember shit, shit. Yeah. but you know what craft is no no craft is can't remember a fucking thing <laughs> so it's like it's like dementia into alzheimer's right, right. Gotcha. So, so a sap control center right and then inside of a sap control center is a stove right well that's where i i worked in the our office literally had like six chairs in it right and we inside of our our sap control center was the stove so i was in an office inside the skiff 
inside that our office was the stove and the stove is where the only the people that are read on to a program go into so you know and and that's exactly how that's what the sap control center does they manage all the read-ons right so um yeah it's it's a world of controlled information and and sub, supreme compartmentalization so i couldn't tell you I couldn't even tell you what you're referencing. Wow. <laughs> so what happened in 2000? What did I miss? <laughs> well, the beginning of that, that time frame was, was the, the foundation of the Marxist takeover of America. When, when Barack Obama, you know, clearly stated how he was going to change things. And then during that time, uh, between 2008 and 2011 is when uh, they targeted the military kind of like they're doing right now. So that, uh, that may be kind of a foundation of what of um, the major world event during that time frame. Yeah. So while you guys are all seeing that, the things that we're seeing from from our area of responsibility is the shutting down of programs that we're like, why would you shut down that program? It's effective. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to discuss any of them because, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, a you know, post career security expert, right? And I don't want to get myself in trouble. But uh, yeah, I mean, we were questioning other things, right? And, and I tell you, when you work in that world, you go in, you, you badge in, you don't have access, you don't, we don't have, t we didn't have TVs in there or, or, or things like that. And, uh, you know, you go home at the end of the day and you don't want to turn, you, know, you don't turn on the TV. So I'm not, I'm not going home and watching Fox or CNN or anything else. I'm going home and cracking a beer and dreading the next day because uh, yeah. you don't even like, I mean, look, you can't take an operator and stick them in, in a cave and expect them to be happy. So um, I'm sure if you talk to my boss, he probably thought I was the worst soldier in the world because it, it wasn't my, it wasn't my bag, baby. It wasn't my bag. So um, I can't blame yeah, you. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. I, I know I, that was kind of the, you know, a, a lot of Obama, Obama was causing a lot of problems there, but I wasn't as tied in at that time because I, at that point I had basically was so disgusted with politics and everything. I, I didn't care. I didn't register to vote. I wasn't involved. I was just like, fuck it. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't until I mean, even when I retired, I, I started a limousine business, which again, 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 of chaos and just not watching the news, not involved, not paying attention. And again, that, that's part, that's part of the overall psychological uh, war plan, right? The debt yep. slavery. The keeping everybody so busy they can't pay attention and, and I was a victim of that so it really wasn't until I guess maybe I guess 2007 well actually it was the 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 election of of president when, when the president announced when Trump announced that he was running for president that was when I was kind of like say what right because I was a Trump fan I mean I like the apprentice I grew up as a kid uh, loving the stories of Donald Trump and and everything he did in New York and so that's really what snapped me back in. But I was so far out that literally I, didn't, I wasn't even registered to vote and I did not vote for the president in 2016 because I wasn't, I totally forgot that you even had to register to vote. I mean, right. that's, that's how it's, detached I was from, from this, you know, corrupted system because of disgruntlement. And that's, that's just interesting that you said that because I was completely the same way. Uh, up until about that time frame as well. I just, I mean, I kind of lived in my own bubble. Uh, I just really didn't um, pay attention to politics at all. I, I'd pretty much say I was apolitical. I just didn't give a shit. I, I knew something was wrong. I knew, you know, from the time that Obama took office and throughout that, 
throughout that entire time that things uh, were just things were just going south quickly. I could definitely tell that. So I just think it's interesting uh, in that time frame as well. Uh, back to you, brother. Go ahead. Yeah. So here, you know, at some point you you became a little bit more aware, and and it's interesting because. President Trump had an amazing ability to connect with people who just love their country and um, and and see that something's not quite right. They may not they may not be uh, fully informed on what how bad it is and how bad China's influence operations are and how bad they lobby and uh, the rest of the world and what they're how they're trying to to undermine anything that, that America does. But you became really active and kind of uh, um, you know more informed about what's going on. <clears throat> you and I were both. On January sixth, uh, thoroughly enjoying uh, the love and the patriotic atmosphere around uh, President Trump's speech, and it was an amazing time. It was just, it was. I've been to a bunch of rallies, and all the people that were there were, were awesome. What was your experience like at the rally? Did you have a similar experience to that, or did you did you were you surrounded by a bunch of angry mobsters that wanted to burn down churches? Uh, no, so. Uh... We were actually in the like closest to the stage VIP area, right? Because uh, part of our PSD detail was to escort, I guess, um, members of the Stop the Steal group. What we, the person we ended up having as a protectee was actually, I believe, a, a mother of one of the speakers. And so that's who we escorted from there down uh, to the Capitol building. Um, so, yeah, you know, I will tell you. Uh, I have a different mentality when I'm on mission. So, yeah, I, I, you know, the, the, the vibe was definitely strong. It was really one of the most amazing things um, that I've ever seen as far as total number of people. And, I, and I've said this on another interview that we'll never know the true numbers because they don't want us to know, right? If we ever knew that we were part of something as large as, you know, as what I think it was, which I, I think it was, multiple millions of people yes, absolutely there's no doubt my, in my mind at least two million closer to three in my opinion well right because i mean i look back from the stage area all the way back to the washington monument and there was no empty space i mean the roads were filled everything and then of course the washington monument sits up on the hill so you know on the other on the other side of the crest that there's people as well so um well I, I don't we'll never know that you know i'm sure they didn't let, allow any aerial photographs because then you know you'll be able to run analysis software and in so um but you know i was freezing my ass off you know focusing on the mission so i didn't get as caught up in, in the vibes or the chants or anything like that because you know i'm watching the people which yeah. is what you do on a psd i get and it free, and freezing my ass off yeah i, I get it <laughs> because totally get it. yeah <clears throat> because we were there with all kit but secret service wouldn't let us in with our kit so we had to drop it so you know, and anyone who's been on an operation, you know, you dress for the weather that you're going to be encountering in kit, right? right. So, you know, I've got, you know, like a, a combat shirt on. And so when you take your kit off, it's like taking your heater off, right? Yeah. <laughs> like when you drop your rucksack, you know, when you drop the tick, you know, they, all that sweat starts to get a little bit cold. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we froze, but, the, but no, I mean, it was, it was an insane amount of people everyone was fired up and and they were out there from 6 a.m until you know what time did the president come on like noon or one o'clock like he was late yeah and, one or and the whole time people were out there freezing their asses off and and the energy never really dropped down so it, it was a sight to see 
So that was your task of the day was a, a PSD, and we were we were given we had the PSD the day before for the uh, for the rally, and then we were given that day off. Actually, I think I was kind of on my own little mission, but anyways, I'll leave that alone for now. Um, it was amazing, dude. We 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 started to see things get a little bit out of hand. We're like, you know what? It's it's time. Uh, so we we headed the hell out of there. We I, I was we were feet up on the couch uh, when we got the alert that uh, there was going to be a a version of martial law basically declared. Um, so we had no idea what was happening. And, you know, we get home and we start to see the media form the narrative right off the bat. Like it was, it, it was not as if they had the narrative ready. They had the narrative ready instantly. Local oh, yeah. media was already reporting on it. It was amazing to watch that, man. Yeah. I mean, it definitely was. And, you know, being on the ground that day, we had no idea what was going on. Right. Like my, I couldn't get any, a cell signal, you know, no radio no was cell. on stage, you know, they're, they're jamming, you know, which, you know, I don't know if most people know that, but they jam signal. But then once he left, I mean, I think the cell system was so overwhelmed that you just, and then you would hear people in the crowd as, as we're walking towards the Capitol, you know, I think there was a gateway pundit article that had been pushed out that actually said that they had breached the Capitol. So, I mean, we were like, uh, probably an hour. I mean, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at the timeline, but w- I mean, we were well behind because we had to wait for it to work through the crowd and all this other stuff. Yep. I mean, you, you saw how the people were, yep. um, but the comms were horrible. So the side of the Capitol I was on was you know, very little activity. Everyone's meandering around. It's no big deal. Um, and so as the chaos kind of like, it, it wasn't very chaotic is the point. I mean, it kind of ended once they declared that, you know, there was a riot or whatever, whatever bullshit they do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then, you know, I find myself up on the front line, kind of talking to the cops and being pushed back by the line. Uh, which is some pretty good video out there. It, it's kind of funny to see the Twitter, uh, the Twitter detectives out there all like, I have a hashtag, right? So for all you jackasses out there, I am, hashtag goat okay all right so if you go to twitter and you type in goat okay they're looking you know the leftists are looking for me so if anybody wants to shoot me an email at ggsol at proton i'll give you my address you can come step a foot on my front yard <laughs> we'll, te- we'll test out the uh, florida test standard out that, ground law. That internet th- that internet tough guy theory yeah. <laughs> Oh, sorry, but I appreciate it, man. Okay. I know your your dogs are uh, are chasing the uh, the uh, the beautiful uh, animals out in the area. Um, hey, that's so, the sound of liberty. The that sound is. of liberty, love it. That it is. So so you get home and you at some point we all came to the realization that they, this was obviously uh, a version of a false flag, a clown operation. Um, and we had Michael Yan on last week, who's a, a brother of yours, by the way, uh, who discussed the ins and outs of of how special forces uses clown operations and false flags in other countries. So it was a great discussion last week rolling into this week. It was clear to all of us who were part of the of the PSD details, the security details of any kind, what was happening. We, we had plenty of video to prove it. And you get home and now all of a sudden you and I are called domestic terrorists and an insurrectionist and uh, me, uh, family members of some people are are disowning us and things like that. What did what did you have from your from local family? You know, friends. Did you get any of that of that garbage thrown your way? <laughs> no, I didn't think so. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> first of all, I mean, I, yeah, I don't the I don't have a large crowd of people that the, that I uh, associate with. I'm really kind of a low key guy. You know, 
me and my girlfriend, my dog to sit around and read the news all day and, and try to warn people the best that I can for my limited. But I mean, I, I've been off, so I've been off social media since we ended the campaign and, or at the end of the election as well as when I deleted Twitter and all that. Smart man. So, uh, so no, I didn't get any fun. Yeah. Look, everybody knows that I'm not a freaking, well, I mean, look, George Washington was a domestic violent extremist <laughs> to King George. So I'll gladly wear the badge depending on who is issuing the badge. Right. right? Yeah. Um, so no, I didn't get any of that pushback. However, the Oath Keepers that were there in D.C. with me that 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 I was a part of, they they did right. I mean, uh, the you know, the actual head of Florida Oath Keepers, Kelly Meggs, who was part of the PSD that I was on, and and look, did did they get over anxious and and want to go get as we like to say get they want to get their uh, well no I'm not going to say it because they'll no, take it out of context. But they wanted to get their action on, right? They wanted to be part of history. It wasn't a plan, right? Like, yeah. in fact, I, you know, I even told them because they were getting so fast, right? They were they were leaving our protectee because they're all excited. They want to get there and be part of something, right? And so they kept, and so we'd have to keep stopping and regrouping and letting her take a break and take water and everything. And I said, hey, look, assholes, right? Your mission is PSD not to run off and, and get involved in that mess. But uh, cooler heads did not prevail and, and they ran off. And now they're, they're paying an, an unlawful and unconstitutional price for just basic stupidity. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe they'll say misdemeanor trespass, which I, even I think that's ridiculous because last time I checked, we paid a mortgage on that house right? We should be able to go in there and check up on our employees anytime we want. That's what I told Mr. FBI clown. If I get another, ch- if I get a chance to go in there, I will next time. I didn't say under what circumstances. I'm pretty sure it's right. the people's house and we're allowed to go in there. So, but, but, but that's the problem with their narrative, right? See, yeah. we know that we're the taxpayers. We know that we're the bosses. So then why would we go into our own place and destroy the place? Right. I mean, I'm not going to go into my company and destroy the place and belittle, you know, yeah. just because my employees no, are all screwed up. Nothing about it, Trump's movement has ever been about hate, has ever been about violence. It's always been the projection. It's obvious to anyone who's watching, and that's why there's a lot of Democrats waking up, too, because they see the hallmarks of historical uh, color revolutions is what they're doing. Um, we're already, man, time's flying by. We only got about five or six minutes, and I want to hear about happened. what happened with the clowns. It, there's the story is never as as exciting as everyone makes it out to be. I basically made fun of my clown when he showed up at the door, and uh, he asked me the the third time, the second time he asked me if I know anyone that's violent. I I officered him out the door. Get the fuck out of my house. I didn't say it like that. I said it in a professional matter, but right. I was fucking pissed because. I have been on radio uh, or uh, a video for the last almost four years telling people violence is counterproductive to what we're trying to accomplish. It actually helps them. And so anyone who, who wanted to do any little bit of research on me, they would have known that. I said, why are you here harassing a veteran with a lit flag in the back of his house? I'm not harassing you. I said, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you... You know, the detective looked at me and smiled and asked me about the Red Wings. I mean, it was it was a fucking joke, dude. So it's yeah. never, like, as, as exciting as it is. But these two clowns show up at your door, and you just kind of sit there and watch them at first, I believe. T- tell me a little bit about the experience at the door, and then I really want to get into the discussion, the highs, highlights or lowlights of the of this the discussion you had with them. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we have very strict SOPs here for our entry control point. 
<laughs> so I brief my girlfriend. We have cameras all over our property. And I say, don't don't ever answer the door for somebody that you don't know. Period. Right? Because uh, I was a Trump supporting congressional candidate, and, and I I have personally looked up, researched, and seen my name on BLM or Antifa hit list. Right? Like I said before, you know, you're welcome to come. I'm ready. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, you know, there, there's a, all you know scammers. Like there's there's just enough bad out there in the world to just verify who it is. And before you answer the door, well, we were expecting the air conditioning repair guy to come that Friday morning at 8 a.m. And this is about the time they show up. So my girlfriend uh, violated SOP, accidentally woke me up before verifying uh, on the camera. And so I stumbled to the door. And by then, she's already answered the door and is standing there while they're asking her you know, where is Jeremy Brown? <laughs> and you can kind of hear it in the video that uh, that's uh, on Brandon's vi uh, Brandon's interview of me where we break everything down. But, and so I walk up to the door, you know, I had an ODA shirt next to my bed. I just threw it on thinking I'm going to go meet the air, air conditioning repairman, which who we already know. And we know him personally. Right. Gotcha. <clears throat> and I show up and here's these guy going, we're looking for Jeremy Brown. So I immediately, yeah, I clam up. I just stand there with a special forces shirt on and they never said, are you Jeremy Brown? Because obviously if they would have, I would have had to say, well, you know, obviously I, you know, so they didn't. So I didn't volunteer any from me, give us their car. They walk away. <clears throat> now I didn't believe based on the flimsiness of their business car, the way they were dressed, their cars that they drove, no, nothing told me that these guys were legit. Right. One guy was saying he was DHS department of Homeland security. The other guy was wearing an FBI JTTF polo. And I'm like, all right. So I immediately start questioning. So I, 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 I blast out to a couple of people. I'm like, hey, can you check on this guy? Um, see if he's legit. Um, and then my phone rings and it's him, but I don't answer. So I let it go to voicemail. And of course, it's the agent saying you, you wanted to talk to me. So I, I give it a little bit of time. And then I respond to the email uh, that was on the card. And he responded back from a government domain. And so at that time, I said, all right, this guy must be, you know, an agent. So we go back and forth. You know, I basically said, I want to know what the topic is. And if we're going to meet, I want to be able to record it. And at first he, he was reluctant, but, um, you know, finally he agreed. So I set up the meet in a public location and, you know, set up a couple of decoy recording devices. And then I had my primary recording device, which was my phone, uh, in my pocket and then went up and recorded the whole thing. And within 38 seconds, you know, they mentioned that I could be working with them. So the whole the ruse was that I had said something on social media and they just wanted to talk to me. But that that's all that that is a technique to just get you alone. Right. And give them a reason to talk to you. The reality was and always was that they were trying to recruit me. And if you go to the, the video and you listen to it, we break it down line by line and, and you can hear your, with your own eyes or with your own ears and and and. And I analyzed, but within 38 seconds, I, I mentioned, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with the JTTF. I worked with you guys before downrange. And he's like, well, you might be working with us again. Boom, right there. That, that was when I was like, oh, I see what's going on here, Penguin. Um, and, and, and that was it. Muted, Abe. Let me ask you this. I've uh, shaken the hands of some some great patriots as part of the Oath Keepers. I've shaken the hands of some one percenters. I've shaken the hands of many others that are veterans who are concerned with the direction of this country and want to be well-informed and prepared in case we are called upon. 
Uh, that is that is the the foundation of the Second Amendment, and there's nothing that's ever going to stop that from happening. They can try all they want, but that is the reality of the world that we live in, as much as they don't want it to be. I don't know anybody who is advocating the violent overthrow of our country. Why do you think the FBI needs to infiltrate the one percenters and the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys? I need your honest answer. Well, here's the honest answer. If you've never met anybody that is prepared to take the country back using violence, well, congratulations. My name is Jeremy Brown um, because that is our constitutional right as laid out in the Declaration of Independence of when our government gets out of control that we are to throw them off in whatever means uh, legally necessary. And that's what we have. And that's why the First Amendment is written to use our speech, to use our faith, to use our media pressure. Um, But the problem is that we don't have a free press, right? We have a controlled press. Um, We have a press that is manipulated by the government through the proxy of China, right? Because there is one world government and the United States is the final piece of their puzzle. And so we, I, I hate to break the bad news to everybody, but they have already overthrown the Republic and we are now all in a insurgency situation. And it's unfortunate. And and that is why, that is why I decided to come forward uh, and join the Oath Keepers because I felt I needed to prepare them for what they're actually about to be involved in of which now we all plainly see. In fact, I met with them on, I think it was November 21st and I gave them a class, an all day long class on insurgency, counterinsurgency. And I told them exactly, and this was uh, the leadership of, of Florida, all that wanted to show up, right? And I told them that exactly what is happening now was about to happen to them, right? Because what you have, what you're seeing before you is a decapitation operation of an insurgency. They know who the threat is, and the threat is patriot groups and the American veteran. That's why you see the push for gun control and that gun control push is all uh, uh, wrapped around mental health, right? Because what have they done? They've laid the groundwork with the Hollywood movies of thank you for your service and all of these, oh, the poor veteran and oh, PTSD. Hey, look, got it. We we all have issues, right? I'm not gonna say I have PTSD, but I've had dark times and a lot of my, a lot of guys that I've served with, in fact, almost everybody has gone through dark times. I've lost a soldier to suicide, but it wasn't because of his war. It was because of how he was treated after the fact he lost his children. He was treated like shit by the system. And so, yeah, um, they all think we have mental issues because we're assholes, right? Yeah. And, and nobody likes an asshole until they need an asshole. And so what they've done is they've, they've done this predictive programming. And I'm not trying to belittle guys that do struggle because I'm going to tell you, part of the PTSD problem is the preparedness that they've ruined, right? I mean, my squad leader, uh, when I was a young ranger, said, we treat you like shit because when combat comes, it'll be no, no big deal, Right. But that's not the way, that's not the training scenario these days, right? So they're ill-preparing guys for combat. That's why you see lower suicide rates within the special operations community. They're not non-existent, but they're lower. Why? Because we train more realistically. We train with a sense of what's actually going to happen versus this, this uh, 
you know, social experiment that we call the military these days. It's yeah. all intentional. It's no different than the huge propaganda war, right? The, the destruction of the military uh, started, you know, decades ago with the destruction of <laughs> hard training, um, you know, the stress card. I don't know if you remember those. Oh, back yeah. in the day. And, and so now what do you get? You get a, 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 a result of that is people that weren't prepared for what they experienced. And so now they struggle with those mental aspects and they, you know, they call it PTSD and it's real, but you know, they called it shell shock during world war two. You didn't hear all this whining and bitching yeah. about it during from world war two veterans. And I'm going to tell you right now, I never saw shit close to what D day was. Yeah, exactly. Right? And I've talked to some of those guys like, you know, so it's all a predictive programming. It's a mind fuck. Right. Yeah, and it, it even mind fucks us. Right. Like, I support uh, causes that, that focus on veteran suicide, but it's not about taking care of us and trying to prevent us from killing ourselves. They want us to kill ourselves, right? Oh, yeah. It's about classifying all of us as mentally ill. It is. Because all the legislation once passed, and it will pass. It's going to pass, guys. Um, all, I, I suggest everyone go fishing this weekend and have a tragic accident where you lose all your guns in, in when the boat capsizes, right? Because they're coming, right? There's the no American, chance. There's no the chance armed, they come take guns. I can guarantee you. Armed that American. No, they're coming, dude. No. I've had let my me, guns let me, confiscated. Uh, let me pause I've you had my there. Guns confiscated twice, twice in the last three years. Let me pa- let me pause you there. We'll get into that discussion after the top of the hour. I I definitely want to talk about that and and a lot more. So we'll, with a lot more to come on that front. Joe, go ahead a full ten minutes, and we'll go through the top of the hour, and we'll get the uh, the advertisement. Right after that, uh, let me get uh, Joe's opener going, and we'll get a rapid-fire segment for you guys. And then we will, uh, uh, right after the top of that, we'll take calls from you guys as well. Stand by for that. Here's the opener. Joe, what's going on in the world today? Is there anything good news happening, or is it all a bunch of garbage again? Uh, as usual, it's all a bunch of garbage. Uh, right off the bat, Gateway Pundit, uh, human traffickers tossed six-month-old baby in the Rio Grande during Border Patrol pursuit. Boat was filled with 67 adults and 150 children. Uh, this is just absolutely sickening. These are the stories that uh, they don't want you to hear out there, but this is the kind of stuff that's going on right now at the border. Just unbelievable. Hey, go, go down on that. Just one second. Let me see that first paragraph. South Texas special operations group, a division of the Texas Rangers rescued a six month old baby that was tossed into the Rio Grande. Interesting. Who is the person that did that? Is, is that not uh, James, <laughs> Jeremy? Go ahead, Joe. Oh, no, I'm sorry. What, what was the question? Did you see uh, who is the one that saved these? A division of the Texas Rangers and a special operations group in Texas. Uh, there is all kinds of Patriot groups down there right now doing what they can to help uh, uh, sex traffickers and human traffickers as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess it, it says a division of the Texas Rangers, so it's probably like their version of a, a SWAT team type. There you go. That makes more sense. Gotcha. Go ahead, Joe. 
Exactly, exactly. So this is super interesting out of the Washington Examiner. Million maskless march and mass burning event planned in Florida. If I uh, recall, Jeremy, you're in Florida right now, aren't you? This is perfect for you if you want to get out there. Uh, Florida's who oppose the mask mandates as a result of the coronavirus pandemic are attempting to organize a massive protest and a mask burning event. Uh, It looks like it's uh, Saturday, April 10th. Uh, so if you're in the, uh, let's see, corner of A1A and Los Alos in Fort Lauderdale. So if you're in that area, that's going on. I thought I, yeah, I just love every, everything that Florida's doing recently. That's over on the East Coast. But uh, I can't go to a mass burning ceremony because I've never worn a mask and I never fucking will. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> There you go. There you go. So speaking of the border down, uh, down in Arizona, just this quick little video, don't need to listen to it, but basically you can see what's happening here is the, the liberals are leaving supplies for the cartel mules. So basically what they're doing is they're leaving uh, like uh, bowls and water and stuff out by the border. Uh, so when they come upon it, uh, they will have water and stuff. Look at these people. Look at these idiots just literally walking out to where they know that these these coyotes camp at or the car, cartel camps at. The cartel comes in and they get their water and um, they head out. It's just look at this. Leaving them bottles of water. Ugh, this guy, I forgot his name, Al. Do you remember his name offhand? No, I not off the top of my head, no. But he's he's doing amazing work down by the border. So I just wanted to bring oh, is that, that up. Um, is that the guy we got coming on Friday, Todd Bensman? No, I don't think that's Todd. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, we're going to talk this, more about this on Friday, guys, with Todd Bensman. He's down at the border as well. Go ahead, Joe. This is, this is a perfect example of uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and this is how compassionate people are used as useful idiots for something that actually isn't compassionate at all. Yep. That is absolutely spot on. This just dropped out. Um, actually, uh, Johan, uh, Jovan or Jovan, uh, Hutton Pulitzer. So Arizona is writing a new chapter in election integrity and forensic investigation history. I'm happy to confirm that scan the ballots for kinematic artifact detection is being used. My technology and intellectual property is assisting one of the most impressive and qualified audit teams ever assembled. The numerous record-breaking 2020 general election will be remembered throughout history for many reasons, and Arizonians can claim their place in history as well for taking these historic election audit steps. Lots of stuff going down there on down there in Arizona. This is super interesting, just coming out an hour ago. Well, somebody should ban that guy because we all know there was no election fraud. <laughs> I think that, they're trying to, actually. <laughs> they probably are. Um, that's interesting, though, because that's the second uh, this week. Uh, Georgia had some good news on, on the election front as well. Wisconsin and here will be probably next week. So that's interesting. That we're starting to see what things can be done to help secure the election, uh, knowing that uh, they have plenty of evidence to show how they did it this time. Yeah, and even uh, Joven says that was the ground ba- groundbreaking decision. Uh, so hopefully more to come on that. Uh, obviously, uh, if you guys haven't heard yet, Facebook removes video interview with Trump citing his ban uh, from citing his plan from the bla- platform. So yesterday he had a, he had an interview with his daughter, and uh, they pulled that video. And basically they said nah, anything that Trump wants to put on there, we're not going to allow on there. It doesn't matter what it is. 
So as usual, Facebook up to their same old bullshit. Yeah, they're just they're uh, engineering their their own destruction because as soon as Trump launches his, his social media platform, everyone's going to be off Facebook. So I hope anyway. Delete Facebook. Exactly, exactly. Even though Como has his ninth, I believe, uh, person come out against him, uh, he's just decided to uh, legalize marijuana. Why not? I mean, you know, uh, with everything else going on uh, behind the doors, or I don't know, behind the doors is basically in front of of the people that are the nine people against him. He decides, well, we'll just go ahead and legalize marijuana. And, of course, it could see a revenue of $350 million in additional tax revenue. I bet you that's really what the bottom line there is. Well, except for maybe keeping New York's kind of stoned um, so they're not paying attention to what's going on around them. Well, pretty, but, soon, they'll, <clears throat> pretty soon they'll do reparations for them. So they'll, they'll get them all hooked on uh, all kinds of whacked out drugs, and then they'll have reparations like Northern Illinois did for them. Well, they'd rather have New Yorkers asking where the Doritos are rather than where yes. are the uh, COVID uh, the COVID death investigation. Yeah. Yes, and, and ignore that whole vaccine passport thing going on there in New York as well, right? Um, so it's super interesting. Just thought I'd bring that up. Like I said, with everything else going on with Cuomo, uh, three house Dems break with Biden Pelosi over these tax hikes. So this is kind of interesting to see uh, the House Democrats breaking with uh, House Speaker Pelosi and Joe Biden's efforts uh, to pass a massive tax hike bill to pay for their infrastructure bill. Good. Does it say which ones? Does it say who? Um, let's see. Looks like New Jersey Democrat rep. Josh Goat Gottheimer, is that how you say yeah. that? Yeah. Um, Tom Scusi and New York Bill Tom Scusi. Huh. Yep. Interesting. Yep. All Democrats from uh, Jersey area, East Coast area. That's pretty interesting. That's not your normal uh, descenders. So that's uh, that's gonna be fun to watch. I, that's why I think they're not gonna get any legislation passed. They're not gonna be able to get these ta- these tax hikes packed passed, and they're not gonna be able to get anything else done either. Going to be a- Just remember, if it's in the news, it's in the news for a reason. Read The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. I have, I have it right here. <laughs> and you will know that any report of any politician going against any piece of legislation is probably political theater. Yeah, well, it yep. could be, but um, they'll, just, they'll just get the tax hikes in some other form that they won't be able there's to. There's no chance. Over. Mark my words, zero chance to get tax hikes. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> so his speaking of good news, Wisconsin Supreme Court strikes down mask mandate. So fuck you, Evers. I absolutely love this. Uh, Wisconsin Supreme Short uh, Supreme Court struck down Evers mask mandate on Wednesday in a four three ruling, deciding that the mandate exceeded his authority. You think? No yeah, shit. Haven't they already done this once? Yeah. Didn't he? Isn't he's a clown that they struck it down? And so. He- he just yep. reissued it. Yeah, and the, he did. He just reissued it again, and, they, and the legislature went after him right away. We got an awesome legislature here. That's another reason why Wisconsin's never going to have this problem again, too. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this just came out. Uh, this this is kind of frightening. Uh, Illinois here where I live, 35% of Illinois small businesses have closed in one year due to the COVID-19 restrictions. 35%. Think about that. That is just absolutely staggering. Uh, 50% of small businesses in the food services and accommodations industry and 51% of small businesses in the leisure and hospitality industry have closed compared. Uh, this is just and, and on and on and on. I mean, Pritzker and his, his disciples are doing just absolute wonders and destroying the small business here in Illinois. Pritzker and Pelosi quoted as quote as, as quoting it as a success story. <laughs> yes, Exactly. 
Uh, U.S. Uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. ICE removed three individuals convicted of sex crimes against children. Unfreaking believable. This was actually yesterday uh, that this came out after we were on our show. So I wanted to bring that up. Uh, the United States Department of Justice, Project Safe Childhood. I was absolutely fucking blown away at this. Look at all of these just over the past couple of days. Uh, you got Fort Myers, you got Boyle County man, 27 years for uh, distribution of child pornography. Lakeland man, which I believe that's Florida as well. Uh, Hudson man, 276 months, assistant commissioner of NYC probation department, pleads guilty to child pornography, former probational officers, Silver Spring sex offender, on and on and on. Hmm. Three of them today, Delton man faces federal charges. Uh, Searsport man and a Central Falls man. Wow, that is Un- a, that's amazing, Joe. Unbelievable. Yeah, shit. this is this is like I say, man. I, I usually only cover one or two of of how many really come out. Uh, but that's why I wanted to show you guys. I mean, obviously, guys, this information you can just go right onto the website and see it. But I really only report one or two because we don't have enough time for one. But when I saw this and I saw all these on the thirtieth alone. Holy shit. It's good to see that. Um, obviously these project safe, uh, project safe childhood is still doing amazing work out there. Uh, FBI raids home of young female Christian volunteer at 4am in Texas. Sounds familiar guys for walking through us Capitol in January with her boyfriend. How dare she, how dare she walk through there? She wasn't even in the building or anywhere close. She is a young female Christian volunteer uh, of course, they arrested her. Um, we all know how this goes, but just this just came out yesterday. So another one of those uh, stories, guys. Um, real quick, I know I'm trying to hurry here. Steve Marshall, Attorney General uh, Steve Marshall, sues the Biden administration to protect Alabama from unconstitutional ban of the sta- uh, state tax cuts. This is what we need. This is what we need. Uh, so this is super interesting. This just dropped out there recently. Um, also, a Washington Examiner dropped John Durham is issuing subpoenas and interviewing witnesses, report says. This was as of yesterday. Uh, the reason I thought this was interesting is obviously we know Trump had uh, recently said, where's Durham? Is he really alive or not? Um, but this is I'm not uh, as Jeremy was kind of alluding to. A report from CNN published on Tuesday cited unnamed sources who said that after delays, Last year, pinned on the coronavirus pandemic, Durham's investigation are now arranging witness interviews and grand jury subpoenas also were being used to gathering documents in the recent months. Those old unnamed sources and CNN published. Well, you know, I think it's probably bullshit, to be honest with you, but we'll who knows? see. I, I'm not convinced that that's going to lead to nothing. We'll, we'll see, though. Yep. Yep. And the last one I just wanted to bring up real quick, Mike Lindell, who's been doing an amazing job on this election fraud, dropped a new video today. Uh, That's uh, LindellTV.com. I watched it this morning. It's about an hour long. Uh, He's this is he's supposed to have a second part to the first part that he already did. And while he was going through this, he decided to do a separate video. So he's still working on a third video. But this actually lays some really nice groundwork. If you guys get a chance to check that out, that's pretty much I had all for you guys today on the rapid fire. Back to you, brother. 
Good shit, man. As always, appreciate that very much. Let me get a minute and 20 seconds of your time for a quick advertisement if you want to get up and stretch the legs. And then the second half, we'll get into a discussion about will this this Senate actually get anything passed? We'll see. Delete the elite. Oh, RiseOfTireUSA.com. RiseAttireUSA.com is the exclusive show sponsor of the Brothers Uncensored show. Do me a favor. Go over there. Check them out. They got some awesome gear, and I think you guys will really enjoy uh, seeing what they have on there. Don't forget that clown mask that's on the front page, though. You have to show an FBI badge to be able to buy that mask, so just fair warning. Uh, If you guys want to call in, go ahead and do that. Check that out when you guys get time. Oh, Abewave, A-B-E-W-A-V-E is the discount code. That'll get you a 10% discount over at RiseAttireUSA.com. Check those brothers out when you guys get time. All right, so let me get the call-in set up over here. That should be good to go. All right, so if you guys want to call in, there there is the numbers on the screen. So, bro, tell me about this. All right, so let let me place my argument why they have zero chance they're going to go after guns. Now, number one, red flag gun laws, state by state, are targeting veterans and are are going after veterans specifically for their guns. So I'm not saying that they can't try other ways to do this at the state level and other levels. It's, that's happened. But what I am saying is, for example, last week the Supreme Court in the Sixth Circuit, I believe it was, uh, uh, denied the bump stock ban from President Trump's uh, executive order. Now, it did take a little bit of time for it to be, to, be, to be declared unconstitutional. And in the meantime, there are some people who got wrapped up and had to get had to destroy their bump stocks. But the Supreme Court is very strong, and so is the appeals court, is very strong in defending infringements on the Second Amendment. Heller versus D.C., the, the, the case that identifies uh, the Second Amendment rights of what we have today, which is Basically, we're that, that, that's what allows us to have uh, automatic weapons in certain forms for a cost. Um, but it's very strong. And I, I don't see the strength in the Senate on the Democrat side to get a radical agenda passed. Tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, because you are living in a post-constitutional republic. So I see your sixth uh, circuit, and I'll raise you a Ninth Circuit that just ruled that you have no right to carry concealed or open. So, yeah, 
the, the it, it, it's a red herring to rely on the Supreme Court rulings to give us our Second Amendment rights. We already have them. Shall not be infringed is a very easily understandable uh, sentence written in English. And we have Title, uh, Title 18, Section 242 already in US law that prevents any agency or individual from depriving you of your rights under color of law. So that right there already makes all laws that infringe upon your Second Amendment right of shall not be infringed, uh, unconstitutional and illegal, uh, pen, uh, punishable under imprisonment and fine. Agreed. So uh, Biden's already said that he'll issue executive orders. It doesn't matter what the court says when they come to your house and take your guns. I've had it happen twice. He can't, I'm the first. He can't. He can say all he wants. He can't issue an executive order to seize guns. That's hey, that's not possible. Listen to me now. Think about it tomorrow and and remember it next week. Because Hans and Franz is here to tell you, I have had my gun seized twice. Okay, under Florida's red flag laws, I'm the first individual in the state of Florida to have my rights restored at the two week period. I can tell you that story. But the judge told me that he personally, and this was about a year ago, and the law had been in, in, in effect for a year at that point, he said that he had personally heard 60 cases himself. Now, how many judges are in Florida and how many Americans have lost their Second Amendment right based on hearsay, yeah. um, abundance of caution? I agree. Red flag laws are a disaster. That's okay, different than so a, right that's, there. That's much different than a, a presidential executive order. Well, it doesn't matter if they follow it. I'm going to tell you right now, law enforcement officers right now across the country are following unconstitutional orders every single day. They're arresting people for not having masks. They're taking children away because the parent wasn't wearing a mask. I mean, if you think that your constitutional rights are intact, I'm here to tell you as an expert with 20 years of experience in governments uh, that have been overthrown that yours has, my friend, and none of the stuff that you think is in place is. And when they're ready to come, they're going to come. And you're not going to be able to stop them with your pocket constitution. And they're they're not going to come. Here's what they're here's what they're going to try to do. They're going to do what they're doing with ammo. I can't I can't find a primer for my nine mil right now. I I have enough of everything else to be fine to be able to go target shoot or whatever I want to do. They won't. They, you can't get the primer. So in that way, they are going after gun laws with the red I mean, flag gonna... laws. I look at your scenario as a success story of, of, of how red flag laws should work. And of course, Florida is, is the fact that they have them to begin with is unconstitutional. I'm with you there. I don't. I don't. I, red flag laws are are anti are are unconstitutional at their core and are used for egre- egregious uh, scenarios every time, no matter what. I'm with you. That though those are different states state based scenarios that are much different than the than the federal government being able to put any regulation or unconstitutional order in that's going to seize guns. It's not going to happen. Heller versus D.C. has been strengthened under the President Trump's administration twice. Very strong rulings. the The appeals court ruling in the Ninth Circuit is gonna is going to the appeals court is going to be seen heard by the Supreme Court. At which point it will be declared unconstitutional as well. So the the system has takes time and has to work. The 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 I will agree, agree with you on this. They are doing everything they can to target the Second Amendment. I don't. There's no doubt in my mind in that. It's it's what levels of success they will be able to achieve that I disagree with. 
Well, um, we all know that we lose our rights incrementally. And do you want to know what the precursor for red flag laws was? What's that? The Laudenberg Act. What's that? I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. The exact same federal law, <laughs> right? Federal law that says, oh, if you're involved in domestic violence, they can seize your guns. That was the precursor for a red flag, right? Because they use, I mean, everybody can agree that you can't beat up your girlfriend, right? Yeah. Or you can't beat up your wife. So we all went along with that, right? Now the red flag laws are, well, we all agree that you shouldn't be able to blow your own brains out, right? Okay, yeah, we all agree with that. That is the basis. That is the incremental step I agree. That got us to red flag. So yeah. um, I, I, I do admire, I do admire uh, your encouraging outlook on, on. Uh, well, that's a realistic outlook. It's, 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 I but study the, Supreme court rulings. Uh, right, but very the closely. reality. When your guns are taken, it doesn't matter what some guy whose guns haven't been taken thinks about the time it takes to get them back or the cost. I've had my guns taken. It took three months to get them back. And it cost $50,000. That is unconstitutional. It is. And they could have easily denied me the right to get them back. The judge said, I've never allowed them to get them back. And therefore, I would have lost my guns for 12 months. So that is already confiscation. Yeah. And so as they push for registration. But based on a state law, that's not, that's in very limited states. It's only based in, I think it's only 13, less than 13 states, I believe, have red flag laws that, that are, that are that open. And most of those states have uh, really decent procedures in place. It's unconstitutional. I'm not arguing for it. I'm red flag laws are a disaster and we should be, we should be targeting our governors and our state legislatures, state legislatures to remove any version of a red flag law. I, I'm with you. Uh, my only argument is we are we are allowing the states to do these things by being blind at what's happening right in front of our face. We don't. When's when's the last time you've called your representative? I haven't called my representative in like two months to complain about something. We should well, be I, in their ear every fucking day saying you guys need to do something about this. I ran against my representative, so there you go. I mean, you know, <laughs> you, you got to exactly. stand up, and I'm, and I'm not saying you specifically, bro. I'm saying right. I'm, I'm talking to to us, to, to the people out there. What we have to be informed and involved, otherwise, they're going to continue to push that ball down the road. I I'm, I completely agree with you that that is their goal. I'm right, only but, saying the president of the United States cannot issue an executive order that is unconstitutional. It will not happen. Well, no, he can. Look at DACA. He can do it. And if enforcement agencies enforce it, it doesn't matter if it's unconstitutional. DACA when, has has constitutional backing that that uh, an unconstitutional gun law doesn't. DACA has a backing based on our our ridiculous version of of immigration in this in this country that has been destroyed by the Supreme Court. There is there is no constitutional basis for immigration. The, the President of the United States has full authority to decide what immigration is in this country. That's that's not a valid argument when it comes to gun laws. Gun laws on all and every basis, in every court and every level are strengthened by the Supreme Court ruling that Heller versus DC. Well, I mean, we can pull out the executive order book and go down line by line, and I guarantee you on the first page I'll find 10 that are unconstitutional that are fully enforced. That have nothing so, to do with gun laws. But it doesn't matter. My point is an unconstitutional executive order is, is enforceable. I'm with it you. is enforced every single day, and there's hundreds and thousands of examples of them. I mean, uh, and so if you think that they can't do it, 
Well, then, then you're not seeing all the legislation that comes out of Washington on a regular day basis. H.R. 1 is unconstitutional. It will be signed into law no, as an no. unconstitutional law. There's okay. zero chance H.R. 1 passes the okay. Senate. <laughs> okay. I'm telling you, there's you're, no chance. Right. And there's zero chance that our, le- that our elections will be stolen. Listen, I, I, I'm with you. I'm not trying to. I'm trying to. I'm not Why trying do you to think minimize. They stole the election. I'm not trying to minimize how many unconstitutional things have happened in this country. That that needs to be brought up for attention. That needs to be discussed. That needs to be talked about. I'm with you completely. I'm just making the argument that the president of the United States does not have the 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 ability in any way, shape, or form to come take your guns and buy an executive order. That is my only argument. Okay, Abe. Here, this is what I like to do. I did this on the campaign trail all the time. I will make you a bet. Within 12 months, two things are going to happen. H.R. 1 will be passed, and there will be unconstitutional legislation or executive orders come out of the Biden White House. I'll buy you a beer if you win. You buy I, me I'm not two, saying two they're not going to try. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not going to try unconstitutional executive orders. Both That's not. Happen. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that this Senate, based on the makeup that it is right now, is strengthened for moderates. If they are strengthened for moderates, that means that President Trump was successful in the election because everything has moved away from extremism. And anybody who wants to keep their job, that is about six key swing votes. Anybody who wants to get anywhere near keeping their job, there is no way they're going to allow extremist policies in H.R. 1 to pass. I, there's, it's not going to happen. I disagree with you because I believe <laughs> that almost everybody in Congress is compromised. They're all frauds. I can we can go down through 535 of them line by line, and I can show you where. It's and, uh, yeah, I'm with you. And I mean, here's it's the deal: a mess. when a criminal steals something, they intend to use it for something. Okay, if I am running a terrorist network and they steal a cargo ship full of 81 millimeter mortar rounds, you can bet that 81 millimeter mortar rounds will be raining down on Ford operating bases all over that AO in a very short amount of time. The election was stolen for a reason. They're going to use that theft, the thing that they stole, to do what they need to do. And they're going to try. Right now, they're hey, they're the definitely going to the try. That's out there. A beer. Come on, man. Take no, the I'll be down in Tampa here in the near future. My pops is dying. He's lives, he lives about an hour north of you, and I'm probably going to try to head down there in the next uh, month, and I'll, I'll fucking buy you a beer if, if I'm down there. I want to buy you one anyway. So I don't want this to happen. <laughs> All right. I'm well, not, I'm, I'm just not, saying nobody knows what's going to happen. There, it's nobody knows. There's no way to predict the future. We know what they're going to try to do. We look at what Obama tried to do, and he got instant resistance from the time that he was in to the time he was out. He got absolutely no legislation passed. He got a few here and there that was maybe moderate legislation. He got none of his radical agenda passed through legislation. It was all by executive order. Wait, I just thought you said that executive orders weren't enforceable. That's not what I said. Actually, what I said was they're never going to get a an executive order for gun control passed. I guess we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? <laughs> There's well, no way to I predict mean, the future, bro. That's that, that's all I'm saying. Hey, we know, know that, that we know what they're trying to do. Will be fo- all my claymores will be facing out. And there you go. <laughs> we know what they're trying to do, and we need to bring awareness to that for sure. And we need to be prepared for it if they're able to do it. And I tell you what, you know who's going to be right by your side if they try this shit? They're, you think they have a, uh, an extremist problem now? 
there, there's more veterans in this country than there are politicians. I'm quite sure of that. So I, if it came to that, right, if it came to a point where we had to, we had to bear down, trust me, I'm fucking, I got your we'll six. But down because right now there's about, uh, I think 300 of them being held as political prisoners that have all had their guns confiscated and they're not going to be released. They've been denied bail. They will not get a trial. They'll be held in gulag style conditions until they die. <laughs> There's 300 that were at the Capitol. Is that what you're saying? Or yeah, most, I mean, really? uh, most of them are veterans. There's probably more. That was hell. That was a, a week ago. The uh, U.S. Uh, uh, prosecutor out of D.C. was bragging about. Do you have um? Do you have any more information on that that you could get to me when you get a minute? I, w- I would like to actually dig more into that. If you have a, a, a sourced you know, information I'll, on that. Uh, yeah, I could probably find it. Yeah, if you could, I would love to. I would, I would, if if that's fucking true, dude, I'm all over it. I'll be. They're they're bragging about how there's still hundreds of people that they want to roll up. I'm probably one of them. Yeah, I'm one of them too. They can go ahead. What are they, what are you going to do? Well, they're going to throw you in prison. No, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they would hope to do. That's what they hope to do. Unless you prevent them from throwing you in prison. So. Well, no, you, I mean, there there are some that that broke the law. There are some that that went too far. That got wrapped up in it. That are definitely um, there's no shortage of them. No, I'm not I'm not minimizing. Yeah, I mean, you know the, that at all. Last time I checked, a, a misdemeanor trespass isn't an extraditable uh, charge. Well, they got these trumped up charges that are garbage that are going to go through the legal system. But in the meantime, this is the same thing they did to General Flynn. This is the same thing they did to Papadopoulos, Roger Stone. Uh, Manafort, well, he kind of deserved it, but for the most part, this is this is the tactic that they do, and, and and we should be concerned on that front. I'm with you, bro. And if we start seeing more and more of this happen, at some point we are going to have to stand up. I just don't. It, that time isn't right now, and nor nor is it um, nor is it productive for this to get uh, violent in any way. There, if this were to get violent, they will they will shut it down with the quickness. And they will, if they have to, bring the UN in. At which point, we will lose control to the UN forces that are here to to keep the peace. It'll be a mess, bro. You're not gonna comment on that one. The violence has already started on their part. Yeah, it has, and they they learned some very serious lessons in DC, didn't they? Well, right. And so, what I'm saying is that this is a a, a multi spectrum. Um, type of warfare. I mean, you've got biological, you've got psychological. I mean, look at all these dumbasses that have taken the vaccine um, who are going to find that they develop problems uh, six months, 12 months down the road. All right. That is violence. Okay. Um, if I, if I talk my girlfriend into her own suicide, that is, that is psychological violence. Okay. Um, and so have we seen the violence? If we release murderers intentionally, based on some hoax uh, thing, but yet we lock up people who don't wear their mask and those people get out that are already known murderers and they murder more people. That is violence. Okay. And so if we do not identify the violence that is being done to us now and start to defend ourselves in whatever means you feel most comfortable with, how about that? Yeah. Uh, I, I know that I am most comfortable with defending my home, defending my family and, if, if we continue to believe that uh, things that aren't true are true, then we're not going to have a full situational awareness of our enemy's disposition and strength. And that disposition and strength is that they are in control of everything. They are forcing this hellscape upon us against our will. And 
to believe that some politician who got us in this bullshit in the first place is going to ride in and somehow save us with a piece of legislation, then we are doomed to our own destruction by not learning the history of how we got here in the first place. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. There, where we are at right now is is at the precipice of a very serious event. And, and the argument that, that I stand with is um, we are not at the point where we need to get aggressive. It's counterproductive. To, I mean, what it's, the example of what happened at the Capitol and and the end of the outcome of that is an example of what would happen if anything ever got out of hand. It's it's going to be the end of the uprising, and that's not how we make change. We make change by getting people involved in the local levels. We make change by getting our, our local politicians that are problems the fuck out of there. We we make change by talking to oh, yeah. our, our our sheriffs and making sure that we know our sheriffs don't enforce unconstitutional orders. We make change through local areas uh, uh, peacefully. And that is what we've been doing since the tea party. I've been doing this for 15 years. I, I, <laughs> I'm at the foundation of seeing where this is going. I, I have been fighting for this uh, for a very long time. I, I see, I don't disagree with your assessment by any means. My only point is um, if we don't stick on the peaceful and the intellectual path of making change, it will be counterproductive. We have our first guest in, and it is Glenn Singer, who is a constitutional genius, really. The guy, is, he's been on Twitter uh, spreading the truth about <laughs> color revolutions, spreading the truth about their tactics and how they're using them, and making sure that they are brought to the to the limelight so that they can be addressed versus just turning a blind eye to it and not being addressed. I'm pretty sure that the, uh, several people in D.C. when – uh, when Antifa wanted to play, uh, they uh, learned some okay, very, very serious okay. lessons, and you're not going to uh, see them want to play Abe, that anymore. Hi Joe. And, hey, Glenn. Uh, Glenn. Glenn, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, uh, let me finish my statement here, and then I'll, I'll invite you on in just okay. a moment. Um, I'm pretty sure that they learned some very serious lessons, brother, and I know you know what I'm fucking saying. The leadership of the Black Lives Matter learned some very fucking serious lessons, and those lessons can are, are going to be applied at the locals levels going forward we can if we want to send them text messages and say hi if we want to have more pictures of them in databases that will be done and we will put this down we need to focus on on the actual threat to our our communities and not uh stuff that we can't change we can't change what's happening in dc let me get my brother glenn in here glenn how are you today oh not too bad hi joe hi uh abe and uh I'm afraid I almost have to agree with your guest. We've almost lost our country. Uh, Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I'm seeing how the Democratic Party is pushing through all kinds of stuff. And I have seen how they're going to do the unconstitutional executive order on gun control. It's not going to be an executive order. Uh, It's not going to go that route. What he's going to do is he's going to issue a memo to the ATF to change their regulations to do such and such. That's how he's going to do it. He's not going to write an executive order because he knows it's unconstitutional. He's going to have the ATF just change their regulations. That's how they're, that's how I can see that one going. Just Uh, just like how they attempted to do the same thing with the the redefining of braces and uh, SBR, short barrel rifles. Right, they're just they backpedaled. Right, they backpedaled. They went through regulatory. 
They went through regulatory means instead of executive orders or laws. They just issued a regulation that says, okay, you can't have a barrel that's longer than 26 inches or shorter than six inches, that kind of thing. Can you focus and, on the outcome of that? What was the result of them trying to do that? Well, it's backdoor policy and it takes two to three years to go through the courts to fix anything. Valid. Okay. Now I, I would love to go to the courts right now and fight HR one, HR five and HR 51. I can't afford it. You're talking a million dollars just to get to SCOTUS. I don't know any lawyers, so I'm SOL there. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm SOL there. I don't know what I can do other than what I've done, which is send faxes stating the fact over to my uh, representatives and about a dozen others. Well, some well, Democrats, some Republican. Well, Glenn, if, if I could uh, give you some advice. One, uh, I would say represent yourself. I mean, the, the idea that you need a lawyer is a, a creation invented by lawyers. Um, if you're well versed in the law, go in front of the judge and argue a case much like I did in my red flag case. I represented myself and, and I won because it's very simple. You just lay out the law and how you didn't violate it. And you, you I mean, and here's the reality, like the whole judicial system's corrupt anyway. So it's kind of going to depend on what kind of judge, but to address your comment about the cost of combating unconstitutional uh, legislation or orders, all this. Yeah, they set it up this way intentionally, which is why part of my congr congressional campaign when I ran was the first thing I wanted to do was pass what I call the Constitutional Justification Act. And what that would require is that any legislation written would have to be reviewed by the Supreme Court before being allowed to even go to a floor vote. Yeah. Because they set the system up you're to right. give them the power, yeah. right? So they can pass unconstitutional stuff all day long. And, and Abe, they could pass a law that says you're not allowed to own a puppy, okay? And if it gets voted on in the House, passed by the Senate, signed by the president, boom, Abe's not allowed to own a puppy. Now, Abe, he loves puppies, and so he wants to fight it. Now the burden is 100% on you to prove that these guys are ignorant jackasses. And you're not going to do that because, you know, you, you have your own show and guys aren't donating enough. So therefore, you're not going to be able to own puppies. It's going to be unconstitutional. But until somebody has the money to fight it, they never get it overturned. And that's how we're in the mess that we're in. So by demanding that we get that type of justification at taxpayer expense beforehand, well, then that will help cut down because they'll still work around it, right? Yeah. Look, they, their goal is to give themselves as much power as possible and don't think they won't lie, cheat, and steal in order to do it. Well, legislation does go through constitu uh, constitutional muster, and they, can, they very rarely can they get actual legislation through that that violates current constitutional law. Glenn, go ahead. Uh, Jeremy, I've got a question for you. Do you know yes, where sir. I can get some 765 ammo? <laughs> <laughs> what's ammo never heard of it <laughs> i mean my guns are all in the lake but uh, yeah see that's uh, that's tragic i'm sorry to hear that <laughs> but uh it's nice to have the ammo i gotta build myself a little uh concrete bunker in the basements to store it but okay 
We know ammo's short all over the place. That should be an indicator. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's 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 purposeful, and it's. Uh, I mean, that's an example of of how they are going after guns, right there. No doubt about it. I mean, I'm not I'm not making the argument that they're not going after it. I'm just saying they're not going to be able to take guns uh, via uh, public policies used used by OPS. It's just not going to happen. Well, here we'll just uh, we'll deem this a little tactical corner segment of the show, real quick. I'll just totally change your format and uh, give some advice to all of you out there that are concerned about ammo. Stop shooting ammo, okay? There's the best shooters in the world. I shot Ipsit competition. I was a, a Green Beret. All, I have buddies that were all, uh, you know, Delta operators. When you don't have a multi-trillion dollar uh, government budget, whether white or black side, dry fire. Dry fire is how actual real shooters get good at shooting. Bullets yep. do nothing but give you feedback on your dry fire training. I agree. So, Everyone should conserve their ammo, uh, confirm zero every once in a while, confirm that you, you, know, you shoot a magazine every once in a while just so you can get your weapon clean. But dry fire training, work through those skills. You know, if, if you don't know what those skills are, get with somebody like me. They'll be more than happy to sit down with you and train you. Yeah. But that's how you improve your marksmanship capability. I got I to gotta give a little caution, though. When dry firing, make sure you have a dry fire shell in the chamber. Yes, and, and there's all kinds of products out there now uh, that have little lasers, so you can see the imp- you know, like a, a little laser reflection or have a spring so it doesn't damage your firing pin. But those are all cost-effective ways, and they're actually the better way to get better to become a better shooter. Yeah, I think I just saw and- an, I think I just saw a laser thing that was like eighty bucks on the internet. Yep. That's smart advice. I completely agree with what you just said. I mean, whenever I shot my best, it was I spent the most time dry firing and making sure that that you don't allow yourself to anticipate the round going off. It's very smart advice. Yeah, I mean, you got to make sure you protect your weapon, and you got to make sure your weapon is accurate, and you got to make sure you're accurate. So, what's the best way to do it? Get a dry fire laser. I'm gonna have to get. Way, I'm gonna have to now you that. need a laser sponsor. Yeah, there you go. That's the, well, let me write that down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could even do it in your own house if you're dry firing laser. You can do it sitting in your chair. Just take it out and dry fire laser for a you while. Know, a, another great metan- uh, mechanics training thing is you can buy almost an exact duplicate airsoft rifle to whatever platform you're using or handgun and use that as well because the airsoft BBs are very cheap. And you'll work on your mechanics, not so much your marksmanship, because obviously we know BBs aren't accurate. But the mechanics are, are, you know, are a very large part of your accuracy when it comes down to dry firing. Actually, so. BBs can be very, very accurate. I at had close a set, range, at close range, but uh, at not, up to up to fifty yards right. if you if you account for things. So there's and a they couple also of things. Have, There's also not the round BBs, but the eight ball BBs. That are yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of uh, you know inexpensive ways out there that you can uh, prepare because it you know ammo will be an issue. Appreciate it, guys. Glenn, I appreciate you as always. Uh, any, let me uh, get to the next caller here. Thank you for joining us here today. Okay, no problem, guys. Have a very pleasant evening, and we'll nice talk to, to you later. Glenn. Thanks for the call, Glenn. Have a good one, buddy. Good stuff, Glenn. I, I always appreciate it for sure. Glenn's got a great perspective, and that's why we do it, guys. We do it because we need to have these discussions. I, I want to disagree in order to have people – 
have the discussion and bring the truth to the fold. That's really what we need to be doing, and that's the goal here. Uh, let me get uh, 469. Can you unmute? Can I get your name, please? Hey, guys, it's me, the Texan. Hey, what's uh, up, bro? There he is, Texan. What's up, brother? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. Man, my fucking phone, I, I, I crashed my phone, dude. I ran it over, shattered the son of a bitch, ran it over <laughs> with my own pickup. Did you really? So I got a new phone. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, bonehead move of the day right there. Oops. But uh, anyway, yeah, I don't have my new phone set all the way up and shit yet, so I've been kind of out of touch with you guys. But, hey, li- listen, I'm, I want to bring something up. I'm sorry, what's the guest name? Jeremy. 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 Yes, sir. Man, I've been been listening to you, dude. Hey, appreciate everything you did, did for this country, man. Thank you for your service. And tell you what, I love where you're coming from, brother. Well, well, thank you. Um, unfortunately, apparently it wasn't enough, so they drug me out of retirement. <laughs> you and me both. I'm not retired, but I hear, I'm with you. Hey, I, I want to wanna ask, uh, I missed part of the show, has anybody brought up the role of your local sheriff in this gun confiscation bullshit? Matter of fact, I just did. <laughs> Go ahead. Pontificate okay, on it, yeah, I, Okay. Well, I, look, man, you know, uh, uh, the Clinton administration, you know, they they banned us uh, so-called assault rifles, and uh, it was local sheriffs that were confiscating them, you know, as they pulled people over or, you know, they, they responded to, to calls and shit, and then they seen them, and they, I, it happened to my uncle. He got he got pulled over for speeding, and uh, he had an AK-47, you know, in the back seat. He had been to the firing range, and they confiscated that bigger than shit, and he never got it back. You know, so don't don't say they can't do it because they will do it and they can do it. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's what uh, civil forfeiture laws are all intended to do. And you're right about the sheriffs. And in fact, I was on another inver- interview and that was one of the big topics of discussion. I mean, people don't realize the power that your local sheriff has. One, he's an elected law enforcement officer, so he is accountable. Uh, and most people don't pay attention to that. Now, unfortunately, I have a, a George Soros uh acolyte here in the county and I, even though he's a republican he's married into a, a big globalist family and uh you know it just happens to also be a big major human trafficking port i'm not gonna um i'm not gonna uh you know use any conjecture there but let's just say that it it is important to to be in those sheriff's ears um polk county florida has a great one in grady judd and i'm sure you've probably all seen him he makes national news because he's such a straight yeah dude's awesome man it's hilarious yeah but um the sheriffs well, are key yeah, yes, they are. And, and Alan, honestly, dude, uh, they they can and they, they will come and, uh, you know, confiscate our you, weapons. And how's hear, that you speaker know, on your new phone? At, how's that speaker on your new phone, brother? Can you Are you hearing everything okay? Because I'm pretty sure I, I said that they can and are taking them through red flag laws. I'm pretty sure what I said was is through executive order, it's not going to happen. But that's what I was about to say. Through executive order, I believe it is very possible it will happen. And here's why. Okay, it was executive order that uh, the idiot in chief put in place to wear a mask to go to the damn post office. How many people comply with that shit? I guarantee you, he passes an executive order. The masses will comply with it because they're fucking brain dead. All right. These motherfuckers, they talk about how, well, they come after my guns. I'll stand out in the street and, you know, I'll fight them. I'll shoot them. That's a hill I'm willing to die on. You're a lying son of a bitch because you won't even take the mask off to walk in a freaking convenience store and buy a fucking Dr. Pepper. You're lying. So the masses <laughs> will comply. 
the right. masses will comply and and it'll be whatever county you live in whether the sheriff is going to enforce it or not and if they try that shit here in dallas county my ass will be jumping back over in kaufman county and uh, that's where i because that sheriff down there he's a badass he's already said he ain't going to comply with any bullshit like that well, so Texan, i will pick my shit up and step over the county line Texan, let me know whatever county you settle in i'll run for sheriff and you can be my deputy how about that <laughs> deputy dog deputy yeah I'll, I'll be your barney yeah sure just give me one bullet and a revolver look I, look uh our sheriff here uh, pisses me off so much i'm almost considering running against him and maybe i'll get popular enough to do so but i, I will tell you this uh if i was sheriff i would immediately deputize anybody without a criminal record and that would be the end of the discussion because they would be allowed to open carry they would basically be my little posse out there helping me fight crime to include the sex and child traffickers. So oh, yeah. if, uh, yeah, keep that in mind, uh, uh, Mr. Chronister, I'm sorry, uh, Hillsborough County, and, uh, <laughs> because look, you know, if we can subdue areas of Afghanistan, Iraq, Colombia, or whatever, with the skill set that we have being Green Berets, you, you, I can definitely subdue uh, the crime. But look, crime, Crime is an industry, okay? And unfortunately, there's a lot of law enforcement that are in on it. So, um, yeah, I mean, the sheriffs are key. We just got to make sure, just like every other aspect of our government, that we put good ones in power. And, uh, you know, we need to get more Grady Judds and less Chad Chronisters. That's why I love it here, man, because uh, we have open carry here as a state law. So, it's, I mean, it's just, you know. You have open carry everywhere, Abe. Yeah, no, I, you're right. They do. You're absolutely right. There is open carry everywhere. Although I would not, tr- I would not recommend trying that and pulling the gun if you're in Seattle on somebody. That that will hey. get you in trouble. Hey, if you pull your weapon, you had better be ready to destroy whatever is on the other end of it. And that's the that's the fault of that guy. Yeah, look, I agree. All these guys that pull their weapons and they don't discharge them. That's the reason why Antifa is not scared of you. Um, if I know you're not going to shoot, who cares if you pull your weapon? Right. Yep. So. Again, another warning out there to the any of the Blantifa, like uh, Je- Jeffrey pra- uh, Prather calls them. Um, <laughs> if you surround my vehicle and I get out with a M4 looking weapon, you can better believe that it will not be uh, as a showpiece. That's absolutely right. I've had some formal training in that. Uh, there was some uh, special forces guys that uh, opened up a company here uh, in Dallas uh, some years ago. And anyway, uh, I went to some of their courses and uh, we did the live fire simunitions and, you know, about as close to the real thing as you can get. Uh, they were real Glocks. They were real nine millimeters. Uh, they were less than lethal rounds. Right. And I, let me tell you something. It, it does bring a totally different perspective for those who do not know. You go out and shoot a piece of paper. When that piece of paper is shooting back at you, that's a totally different fucking deal right there, man. Ab- absolutely. And look, we have an old saying, and, and, I, and I'm sure, Abe, you probably have heard this before. It's better to be tried by 12 than carried by six. Amen. Amen. Amen to that, yeah. Alan, you know, brother, I, you and I are tight, man. I think the world of you and Joe, you know that. But, uh, but man, yeah, we, we definitely, I don't think we're on the same page with this. And I, this is a dangerous, I, slippery slope. It, it, I'm not sure the, if, it, if, it'll you, be an, if I've, I'm not sure if I've, uh, you know, expressed my, my stance on this. I, I, it's very clear to me what they're doing. I, it's, we, you know, w- w- what they're doing is they're going after ammo. They're going after red flag laws in the States. They're doing everything they can at the state level 
to get legislation to get put in. Again, I, I see it's clear to me that they're going after guns. I, I do not deny that. My only statement is the, the president of the United States cannot put unconstitutional laws in to take your guns. It's not going to happen. Well, I, I, I don't know. I hope it doesn't. I pray it doesn't. And, you know, that, that's a hill I'm ready to, uh, to die on. But uh, like I said, if it comes down to your local sheriff, we all agree on that. And, you know, I have the, for, the good fortune enough that if it does start happening in my county, I will step over the county line. Uh, you know, I got two counties around me right now, contiguous counties that, you know, uh, their sheriffs are good sheriffs. And they said that shit ain't going to fly there. Yeah. So it's not but about a 20-mile a trip for me to, to jump over there. Well, you know, there was so, just a big constitutional it, sheriff uh, convention there in Texas, I believe. Uh, it was going on at the same time as CPAC. I remember seeing uh, one of the founders of it, I guess. Uh, he was a retired sheriff. I can't remember his name. Though. I, I saw him on, uh, I think, InfoWars platform. And, uh, you know, there, there, there are sheriffs across the country that are really kind of you know getting behind this constitutional sheriff yeah. movement. Sanctuary and, counties and, too. And we need to support them. I mean, screw yeah. CPAC. Nobody wants to Amen. hear the talking heads. Let's show up and support these uh, these sheriffs. That's how we fight them, bro. That's how we get. That's how we affect change. We get these sanctuary counties in place. We make sure that we're talking to our sheriffs. If we have local legislatures that are that are targeting gun, gun rights, like some in the, here in Wisconsin, we have no shortage of leftist dummycrats all over uh, Madison and, and southern uh, Wisconsin that, that want to change the whole state. That's how we make sure that this shit doesn't happen at our local levels. That's how we can actually affect change and not feel helpless in a world that is uh, you know, going after every part of our constitutional rights, if we even have any left. I, I agree with you on that stance as well. Well, let me say this also about this, uh, uh, you know, the power of the sheriff. Okay, down in McClendon County, which is Waco, Texas, uh, they passed an ordinance in the city of Waco, okay, about the mask. You have to wear it no matter what. It's a city ordinance. They are arresting motherfuckers. They were tasing motherfuckers. They were beating motherfuckers up in convenience stores down there. The sheriff's department was over a mask. So you think a, a, a mandate or an executive order or something comes out about confiscating weapons, them son of a bitches down there be kicking your fucking door in, man. Yeah. You know? Uh, it, it, yeah, it's very important on the local level. Very, very, very fucking important. Because it's not going to be the FBI. It's not going to be the military. It's not going to be any federal agency coming to your door to confiscate your weapons on, on a mass level. It's going to be your local fucking sheriff and your police departments. Yeah. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. Great discussion. I'm glad we had this discussion today. I think it's important to have this. I, we all should be laser-focused on anyone who is targeting our constitutional rights, and that's any of them. These are, they, these are God's rights, not not uh, made by man, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think we need to be realistic and focused on how we affect the change, though, and how we affect the change is not by, by getting anywhere near violence that's counterproductive to the cause that they will use a violent insurrection to take our guns. You can mark my words on that. Well, yep. the, 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 Amen. Only thing, the only thing I'll say to that, Abe, is I, I, I understand what you're saying, okay? But I will tell you that you know, in most cases, if I met with a, a warlord or a village chief or whatever like that, you always have to start the conversation letting the criminal or the bad guy know that if you hurt one of my guys, I'm going to destroy a hundred of yours. Now, let's talk. 
So we have to make sure that they understand that we do understand our rights. And when I was in DC and I was in the ear of those law enforcement officers, I made sure to make to, to convey to them that you do understand that today we are here unarmed by choice and we are here peaceful by choice. And I've said in numerous interviews, we don't even need guns, okay? We could literally stomp their guts out with our bare hands and our feet, okay? Especially the ladies out there with those stilettos, those damn things hurt, okay? <laughs> so we, we, need, we need to make sure that we don't get into a position where we put ourselves in a box and eliminate our greatest deterrence because cops don't carry guns because they're violent or they're projecting violence. They carry guns as deterrence and as a form of protection against criminals. And we need to take that exact same stance because the last time I checked, they work for us, okay? And so we need to remind those who uh, are trying to take the guns away. You know, they say um, when the politicians are trying to take your guns is exactly when you need your guns. There's a reason they're trying to take them away. Just like there was a reason they stole the election. There's a reason they're trying to take the guns away because there's something that they want to do that if we have guns, it will not go well, all right? And so that's the reason why you see the push for gun control, all right? They're already violating our second amendment rights. Um, and we need to say, hey, good luck with that, all right? And they need to know that, I, and, and I'm not calling for, I, I've never called for offensive violence, right? Because I'm a lovable, huggable fuzzball, all right? But like I said, they're already committing violence against us. So at this point, when do we just accept the fact that anything going forward is now defensive? So just keep that in mind. We have to let them know that we have the power and you know, to quote the 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 um, the musical group, we're not gonna take it. <laughs> Love it, man! It's, it's well, a great I, discussion. I tell you what, I I just want to add to this, and I'll jump off here, Abe. Yeah, go ahead, bro. Uh, if if you feel the need to hide your guns from your government, it's already too late. <laughs> and with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna check out. I'll see y'all down the road. Much love, Texan. Appreciate the phone call, brother. God bless you, bro. Thanks for joining I us today. It. And just real quick, uh, Best Nani, one of our uh, uh, great girl patriots out there, said that she has uh, a very long extension cord, a compressor, and a nail gun. Come at me, bro. <laughs> just saying. I mean, not only stilettos, but our girls, man. Our girls out there. Yeah, hey. they're exactly, man. Even a pen. Even anything, a pen. Anything can be a weapon. Yes, sir. Sammy Q. Yes, Patriot sir. says, um, if the president does try an executive order that's unconstitutional to take guns, wouldn't the military have a duty to defend us on that front? Uh, I got to tell you, you're, no, you do not want, nor will we ever see the U.S. military on the streets of America um, uh, enforcing laws. And if we get to that point, we are in major, major trouble. So... I, you know, how we would get Except there, I don't the, know. The what is your stance on on the military getting involved in what's going on right now? Do you think it's possible that we will see – I don't think we'll see. Do you think it is possible the military is standing up right now to address the threat to America? Uh, they may not know it, but uh, look, I mean, there's military manuals about it. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, the military was used in Katrina. I mean, I know 18 series guys 
$18, special forces medics and, and ODAs that were in, now they weren't doing the confiscation, but I mean, the National Guard is the military. The reserves is the military. The 82nd was in Louisiana, all right, after Katrina, okay? So we've already seen it. There's already a precedence. And again, it always goes to incrementalism, right? We accepted gun confiscation at the hand of our military and our law enforcement for Katrina. So man, wow, who did they bring in to, to do it again? Oh, the exact same guy, General Honore, yeah, right? right? So we can't ignore the incrementalism that we see before our eyes and we can't ignore the past. And we have to realize that it doesn't matter whether we think they'll do it because they'll just cover it up by some, you know, uh, they'll call it a training exercise that will then something will happen and they'll already be in place and they'll say, oh, this all makes sense. We'll just use it. I mean, there's no telling how they'll do it, but yeah, they'll do it. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry to say that our military, I mean, I've, I've talked to a few active duty kids these days and, uh, you know, they're, they're not like us. I mean, no, they don't not. have the same concept, right? I mean, yeah. and people think that the military is all conservative. Look, uh, maybe most of combat arms is conservative, but the the most of the military is not combat arms, right? Most of the yeah. military is combat support and combat service support. Well said, yep. So, so um, don't think that they won't do it. I mean, look at DC. That is the military, okay? Uh, yep. You know, they... They can downplay it like it's National Guard, but it doesn't matter. A 5.56 round out of the barrel of a National Guard M4 feels exactly the same as uh, one out of the barrel of a Delta operator, okay? There's absolutely no difference. So, um, you know, we need, to, we need to wake up to what they're trying to incrementally get us accustomed to. Look, in the Hollywood predictive programming, man, look at the, Mel, uh, not Mel Gibson, but the, uh, uh, the siege with Denzel Washington. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh there's no shortage of them man i dude i'm right, with I you mean, man i appreciate you very much and it was a fun discussion today i love having spirited discussions like this and my my drink of choice is bourbon let me get joe in last year and choice last word in here <laughs> so what he's trying to say is he doesn't really drink beer right, right. Uh, i right. will take a beer though it's not gonna matter i'm gonna win it does yeah exactly he's gonna be <laughs> buying you the beer that doesn't matter either way Jeremy, either way, brother, you are a true patriot. I absolutely love the fact that um, not only did you fight and defend our country, but then you went out and, and tried to, you know, get involved in politics, which we didn't cover that, in which, you know, there's really no reason to at this point. I just love everything that you stand for. Just real quick, quick question of the flag in the background, upside down. Could you explain that to the folks out there, please, real quick? Yes, for, for those of you who don't know flag etiquette or uh, flag protocol, an upside down flag is actually the official signal of distress, all right? It's not a form of disrespect, no matter how stupid the Antifa and BLM people are, uh, they disrespect yeah, it by simply uh, having their beliefs. Uh, but uh, I fly all of our flags upside down, our front yard, our RV, and it is a conver conversation starter with other patriots or even just lay people um, that are out there that don't understand it gives you an opportunity to actually have them approach you because see once they approach you well then whatever you say is merely in response to their question and so it does start the conversation but more importantly it signals to america that we are a nation in distress and like i've already said and i will go on record um uh, the the republic has fallen Right. Read, read through your constitution and, and ask yourself how many things 
um, are being violated on a daily basis. Your first, your second, your fourth, your fifth, your sixth amendment, right? The 10th amendment is right out the window. Yep. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's what it is. And what, what I really wish it was was a signal for my girlfriend to not do the dishes during interviews <laughs> um, every single time, every single time, and even briefed right before this interview. So, well, I, I really appreciate your time, Jeremy. Um, I'm glad you explained that. True love, that. guys, true love. Oh, we Absolutely. Get it. <laughs> and the other thing is, is I love the idea that you put the flag upside down because you want to create conversation. It seems like that these days in itself is somewhat of a fucking difficult task. So thank you very much, Jeremy, for being here. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. There you go. Right, back to you, brother. I appreciate y'all having me and thanks a lot. Man, I appreciate you, Jeremy. You know, I love you like a brother. It was a great discussion today. I'm glad we had it. We should do it again sometime. And if I get a chance to get down to Tampa, I'll hook you, I'll, I'll hit you up for sure, bro. Hey, please do. You're going to owe me those beers anyway. But, hey, this is a perfect example of how we can disagree on something and not hate each other, right? Yeah. Um, and still but if be you don't fighting. ever have me on again, you know, everybody should know that it's just because Abe hates me. <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance in hell for that. You know, I love you, brother. God bless all you right, all. Brother. Thank you all for joining us here today. I hope you guys enjoyed the spirited discussion about the future of where we're at. What the fact that we're fucking having these discussions should be a problem in itself. God bless you all. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Don't forget to stay tuned afterwards for Amy, Joe, and the Bible reading. And we will also be on Alara tonight. Don't miss that. Uh, jackpot. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate you guys very much. Much love and God bless you all. Much love. Treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. Embrace that label. Being an outsider is fine. Embrace the label because it's the outsiders who change the world and who make a real and lasting difference.